Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hail and well met, Traveler, and welcome to Tavern Watch. I'm your host, Joe Perez, and with me are my traveling compatriots and co-hosts, Matt Rossi and Liz Harper. How are you doing today? Howdy, Yay. howdy. Things are happening. Indeed, things are happening. And uh, not uh, pretty much everywhere, and including uh, recent news and what's been going on with the tabletop space. So much so that we decided that this is essentially a part two uh, to what we first discussed with Wizards of the Coast and the OGL. Um, that's probably going to dominate a good portion of our discussion. Uh, and before we get to that, I don't know if Liz, if you wanted to mention, uh, anything specifically about, you mentioned that there's another book coming out that you're kind of, kind of excited about, but not kind of excited about. Do we want to talk about that before we go into the OGL stuff? Yeah, sure, we can lead with this. Uh, Keys from the Golden Vault is a new D&D adventure anthology. It's due out on February the 21st, or you can pre-order it with a physical copy, which also gives you early access to the digital copy, which means you could be reading it right now. That's a whole situation I'm not really... I don't know what I think about that. That's just... That's weird and awkward, and it cuts your local game store out of it and like if i want the special cover that you only get from local retailers i have to order it digitally and then go and go to the local real like it's a whole complicated thing it's like these digital physical bundles like the advantage would be simplifying this and instead it's just as complicated if not more but it's an anthology of adventures about heists and it just sounds they all sound really fun and I really want to play this book, but at the same time, Wizards of the Coast has also been really screwing stuff up now, and I don't even know if I should be excited about a new Dungeons & Dragons book. I haven't even pre-ordered it yet. Not even the digital version. So, I don't know. Uh, what about you two? Are you familiar with this book? Are you excited about it or interested in it? I'm familiar with it. Um, 
the thing is, is Wizards has put out a lot of really good content. I'm, you know, divorced from the things we'll be talking about today. They put out a lot mm-hmm. of really good content over the past, I'm going to say two years. Oh yeah. And I've, I've gotten a lot of it. Some of it, you know, I didn't have to pay for, but a lot of it I did. And I'm kind of at the point where it's like, I, unless there's a really compelling reason for me to spend money on a book of adventures, I'm just not going to do it. Um, with Starf with like a Spelljammer, Spelljammer had like campaign idea stuff in it. You could run like a whole campaign. You could use your own, do your own adventures, but you would have the setting to, to play in. Whereas this isn't, I, I, I compare it to uh, Journey Through the Radiant Citadel, um, mm-hmm. which was, I think, one of the better books they've put out, and the adventures are really interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And I actually liked, uh, I managed to run part of one for you guys uh, briefly. And it's just having time. It's yeah, it's, it's time, and there's a lot of other things to it. Like, there's just, this always happens with, with games. They always, in order for, someone once pointed out that this is not a profession, like working in, in role playing games. It, for a very few people, this can be your job. But for most people who are in the hobby, who are in there professionally, it's their second job. Yeah. Because it just isn't enough. Like, no, there's not enough product being sold. So they, every company makes more and more of it. Like, yeah. they just, you know, we have to get more books out because we need to get more money. No. And it's, it's, it's not, like, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but we always end up at a point where there's just so much stuff Part- that... Yeah. You know, it's like I can't, I can't get the Crin book and this book and Spelljammer, and you know, it just at some point I've got to make a call, and and the vault has so far been, I'm gonna not buy that. There's, not that it's bad, just just that's been my call. Yeah, and I'm I'm sort of in the same boat, right? Like this is something that I would normally be very very excited about, uh, and as somebody who works on the retail side of the hobby as well. It's something I would also be very excited about because usually this is the time where we're like taking pre-orders and and getting them set aside and, you know, putting putting up like the alternate covers and and trying to secure those. But after everything that's happened recently and in conjunction with what Matt's talking about, it's there's not enough demand right now. And even though like the idea of the core concept of these adventures is something that I'm super into, I love running heist uh, adventures and things like that. There's just too much product when it comes to wizards. Um, there's sort of like this flood of books that come out, and you don't really realize it until you take a step back and take a look at your bookshelf sometimes. I've bought every fifth edition book that's come out minus a handful that we did receive for review. Um, my shelf is full. My shelf is full to the point where like, I have to buy a new bookshelf because it is falling down uh, with the weight of these books. But then I, the other day, I'm sitting here trying to find spots for some of the other books that I just got in, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, when's the last time that I pulled the Icewind Dale book off the shelf? When's the last time that I pulled, uh, you know, the the Hall of the Storm Giants and and, and all those, those books off? Like, I've bought them, and at the time, I used them, but they just sat there, because once I got what I needed out of them, I either transferred it over into, like, notes or whatever, or in a lot of cases... Wizards has released some of the content in those and other compilation books. We talked about uh, Morden Kanan's multiverse and uh, Tome of Foes and uh, Tasha's Cauldron, uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Like all of these compilation books took some of the best bits of almost every publication that they had and just kind of threw them in there, which is good. 
and better for people that didn't buy the other books, but it's like that lowers the incentive to buy those books too. And I don't know if I can in good conscience give them my money with what they're doing with the digital stuff. Cause this is another sticking point for me too. Right. And this is not the first time they've done this. They did this with, with uh dragon Lance. They did this with Crin, where order it and you get advanced digital copies of it before anywhere else, but only if you get it directly from them and it's a special physical bundle and all this other stuff. And they're trying to push people into a digital format. And we've already talked about it where like digital formats good, but it's a double edged sword because if you do that, the people who buy those digital, those digital ones or buy the books directly from wizards at the same price that they would buy it from a local game store are they not, not buying it from a local game store. And that the margins are so thin in, in, you know, RPG retailing that doing like the idea of not just having the digital option, but making it so that that's the fastest way to get it. Like, do you want it now? Or do you want it in two, in three weeks? Well, if you want it now, there's our digital option. It's like, you just basically cap kneecapped your retailers. You only get it. You only get the early access if you buy the digital physical bundle. Yes. Yeah. You have to buy the full business, the full bundle. You have to buy. Yeah. You've got you to buy just it order online Wizards. digitally. Yeah, you've yes. got to buy it from Wizards specifically, which is it's like it literally reminds me of those hockey movies where a guy is skating towards the goal and suddenly someone just comes in and smashes him. And yes, this is my moment of Canadianness. Uh, but seriously, it's like that's that's what Wizards is doing. They're well, they're literally capping people. Like, this, it's like wow. Okay, but this this feeds into a larger picture though too. And we talked about this a little bit last time, and it feeds into the OGL stuff is there's been a push under Hasbro for what's called Blueprint 2.0. And that is squeeze as much money out of your product lines as you can. And part of this was spurned, uh, spawned from the fact that in 2021 and 22, the Watsi side of the house, which Hasbro had largely left alone at that point, mostly, not not totally, um, saw that magic became a billion dollar product line. And because of that, now they want all of their product lines to be a billion dollar product line. And how do you do that? You edge out retailers, you edge out distribution, you maximize what you can get from that. Because again, if they don't have to print a book that reduces the physical cost, that reduces the cost of production, if they're charging the same as a retailer, they're making a higher margin on that for the the return on investment because Matt said the margins are razor thin. Um, out of a sixty dollar book, the retailer might make fifteen bucks, maybe, and that's before calculating overhead. Just throwing that. Um, and then you constantly inject product because the more you do product, the more content you put out there, the more money people are spending, the more money you're generating in a year. We talked about this in one of our first Tavern Watches, and we even talked about this with Greg when he was on the podcast. Um, they used to release maybe three books a year. Sometimes yeah, less. Yeah, when this edition first came out, it was, not, it was not churning out content. It was a steady cycle. And now we're averaging four core books and usually four supplemental books that are also published either in conjunction with Wizards or are uh, supported or sort of advertised by Blizzards. Or by by wizards? Wow, yeah. Blizzards. We gotta I, start covering I something that isn't the, a zerd sound. Yeah, I keep thinking of the uh, the, the Simpsons <laughs> meme of uh, Marge walking in yelling at Bart, but it's Lisa that's doing it, and Bart going, "What did I do?" And, and Marge goes on, "I'm sorry, it's just force a habit." <laughs> 
Sorry, go ahead, Liz. <laughs> uh, we do know that Wizards of the Coast is putting out six Dungeons and Dragons this year, which is a lot. That means every other month we're getting yeah. a book. So we're yeah. getting one at the end of this month, and then in two more months we're getting another one. Um, da, 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 da. We are getting Keys from the Golden Vault is this month. Then we're getting Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants, which will be everything you ever wanted to know about giants. Maybe yeah, it's, some it's more like the dragon that. book that know. they put out last year, but for giants. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, the, uh, how do you even say this? The Flandelver campaign? Fandelver. Yeah. It's classic D&D. See, sometimes they put out these classic D&D things and they mean nothing to me. And then everyone else is really excited and... Part of the problem is they never seem, they don't seem to advertise these things well, well. They don't seem to explain them well. It's like they expect you to know what this is, and I don't know what this is. So it just, um, we're also you feel any better? I never played it. Yeah. So. We are getting yeah. Planescape. Though, so we cannot know things. We cannot, we cannot know things together. But yes, yeah. there's Planescape. There's the Book of Many Things, which I think is going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, that's it. That is it. Yeah, that's yeah, a. That's- that's pretty, pretty full, yeah. But that's that's plenty of stuff. And don't get me wrong, like Planescape is something that I would normally be very, very excited about. I love Planescape, and if they were to announce a Dark Sun book, I'd probably lose my mind. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just it's too much. So now I'm at the point where I have to pick and choose what I'm picking up in a year, which is fine. It's kind of how it should be. Uh, but my collecting brain is gonna go haywire that I don't have all the books um that's a me thing <laughs> yeah for, for me it, it, i got over that a long time ago just because I, I simply cannot do it uh and with fifth edition for a while i could do it like they weren't putting out that much stuff in a year i think two or three and one of the books was usually just like tales of the yawning portal when it came out it's like the prototype for all the stuff they've done since it's, like it's the prototype for the the heist book um you know the golden vault book is pretty much the yawning portal types it's that type of scenario and that's fine, but we're at a point now where, like, I, I couldn't get the Ravenloft book last year. Yeah. There's just so much stuff, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta not get something, no. and I don't do, I don't do a ton of horror gaming. I mean, I was gonna get Wishlight, I was gonna get, you know, it just was like, okay, I, I, I'm gonna have to let something go, and it's gonna be Ravenloft. I mean, that's just, I'm not gonna use it enough to, to justify it. So, yeah, it, it, at the same time, though, Golden Vault does seem cool. Like it's it's a different approach to adventuring. It's sort of like Candlekeep. Candlekeep, Candlekeep, yeah, yeah. Where it, it deviates, and, and Liz was doing an amazing Candlekeep campaign. And I'm sorry she didn't keep doing that. Uh, it's so much. I eat. the thing is, I want to do the same thing we did with Candlekeep for uh, uh, Golden Vault because it sounds like these sound like so many fun one shots. Except then it's such a project. Yeah, and, and 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 to be clear, we're not talking bad about the people that make the products or or the quality of the products oh, themselves, no. right? And I want to make sure that's perfectly clear to our listeners. We're we're critical of the speed, the cost that's associated with it as a consumer, the method of delivery, uh, which has seemingly to try to push people more and more to a digital content uh, release, also to a platform that they control. So if they ever decide that your account is done or you can't recover it for whatever the case, you lose those books that you purchase digitally. Uh, there's a lot of of things that are are not to like about what's going on, but we can still enjoy the D and D product. Now, yeah, the, the the game itself is not something I'm upset with. For me, the the biggest problem here is just one of for me the first one is just one of convenience and actual money. 
Yeah. Like I just don't have the money. But another one is the fact that with all the stuff that's been going on, do I want to give them my money? Yeah. And there's, and there's more too. There's a lot of stuff that's been coming out over the last few weeks. And I want to go into that a little bit because I think it is important to, to sort of talk about what's evolved since our last recording. And we talked about the open gaming license, and this was before any official statement from Wizards of the Coast about what they were going to do with it, what the reaction was going to be. We talked about that there was going to be a period of uh, a new release, an updated version of it, and then a feedback period. And then they were going to respond with that feedback after that feedback period of two weeks and determine what they were going to do. Um, Matt, do you want to talk about what their decision was after essentially getting bombarded with a no, don't do this? What was, go ahead, you were saying something. I, I'm, I'm saying maybe we should start by recapping the story so far for people who haven't maybe oh, entirely been following. Well, Liz, why don't I do um, that? I'll do that. I'll do the recap and then Liz can talk about sure, what happened. Sure, let's go so, with that. That works. Uh, basically, uh, at this point, I, I want to say a month or so ago, uh, I think it was around January 12th, but I don't, I don't remember for sure. But uh, let's just say a month. A month ago, Wizards of the Coast basically had a leak they didn't announce this this needs to be clear they did not announce this this wasn't publicly announced they had set up some kind of private channel with i guess retailers and influencers and people to distribute what their their current plans were for the ogl going forward with what they were calling ogl 1.4 and amongst the the things that this ogl did that that were objectionable were clauses that would have given them complete ownership of anything you published under the OGL that they could do anything they wanted with it and then pay you nothing. Like if you wrote a, let's say you wrote a campaign setting about like, you know, elf doctors, like it was like an an elf medical soap opera game using the, 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 the five E rules. And it became very popular for some reason, like, because people like elf soap opera. I mean, I look at world of Warcraft Uh, and because of that, Wizards could then say, okay, that's cool. Uh, And they could just take your entire book and publish it themselves and sell it on their site. And there was nothing you could do. And that's just the first objectionable thing here. Um, There were, you know, they wanted to get a cut of people's Kickstarters. Uh, We we, we talked about how anybody who's making more than $750,000 a year, which is admittedly not that many people, but anybody who was making that, that amount of money would have to give Wizards something like, like 25 percent uh and you're you'd have to give them i think the sim was it 20 or 25 percent on the kickstarter thing any 20, kickstarter uh like, it was 25 20 percent for kickstarter sorry go ahead liz it was 20 for kickstarter 25 for other crowdfunders kickstarter was going to be their preferred crowdfunding partner requiring a low royalty cut yeah, they they were making a deal basically, and and there's more to this, but like seriously, we'll be here all day if I list everything that was objectionable about this. Uh, but the the biggest one was that up till this point, the argument for the OGL has always been, well, if if you know if you as the people using this don't like a new one that Wizards puts out, you can ignore it and just use an older one, and that's exactly what people were doing and have done for years uh, when. Wizards put out D&D 4th Edition with a much more restrictive license that wasn't the OGL. People ignored it in droves and continued to publish uh, stuff that was compatible with 3rd Edition and 3.5 to the point where that's how we got Pathfinder. The original Pathfinder, Pathfinder 1st Edition, is basically D&D 3.75. It's an upgrade and redesign, but it's still basically on the same bones. And so 
this time around, Wizards was like, well, the first thing we got to do is get rid of that. So they, in their document that that, that was, they basically flat out said, we're going to deauthorize the original OGL. You're going to have to, you're going to have like not even a lot of time. I forget how much time it was, but it was like, you know, you're going to basically, if you want to publish things, you, you have to use our new OGL. Essentially, it was like having a financial gun pointed at the head of, of anybody who's using the OGL currently. A lot of there's a lot of game, of game publishers out there who are using the OGL, and they all would have basically been faced with this choice. So that was pretty bad. And as a result of it, there was kind of like I, I don't want to call it a revolt, but I don't know what else to call it. Like you know, a lot of game companies were like, "No, thank an, you." An industry-wide and, visceral reaction. Yeah, I mean, it was it was significant to the point where. Like YouTube was absolutely flooded with content creators who are like, look, I make videos about this game on YouTube. Am I have to give them like 25% of my money? Like, you know, and, and one, one other thing I'm going to mention, and then I'm going to throw it over to Liz is that this is something Liz pointed out. And that's why it's a good segue to her. The language of this new OGL was such that they had the right to force you into arbitration anytime they wanted. They had the right to use your stuff any way they wanted. And they had the right to change the terms of this of this OGL anytime they want. And they could change it on a case by case basis, meaning that if they decided that you couldn't you didn't shouldn't be publishing DD stuff, they just flat out wouldn't let you. And they could do that. And they justified that by being anti-hate speech and anti-harassment, which is great. We like not hate speech and not harassment, but the language they chose was such that they could do it for any reason at any time. Like there they could just decide we want more money. So you have to pay us more or you're done. Yeah. And there was no clarification on the terms either. Right. So like mm-hmm. they, they used terms like harmful and, and things like that, but there was no definition within it. So it was essentially because they're the controllers of the license or the ones that own it, it would be whatever they had deemed was uh, classified as that. Right. Yeah, so. so, but now go ahead, Liz, take us through what's going on now. <laughs> Sure. So, I mean, this original thing was just terrible for content creators. If you made any kind of D&D content, part of this was because this was a leak, as Matt said, and uh, there wasn't a lot of clarity about it. There wasn't clarity about who it was, who it would affect. So you had you had YouTube content creators, you had podcasters, you had all sorts of different people in the D&D community was wondering, is this is this going to affect me because I talk about D&D on my podcast because I make videos about D&D? Is this, am I not going to be able to do this anymore? Am I going to have to report all my financials to Wizards of the Coast and give them 20% of everything I make? And uh, it would have even applied to things like homebrew content, like homebrew content you've made that you may publish beyond, which can share homebrew content. So I think, Matt, you were saying that the community was in a revolt, and I think that's pretty fair. Everyone was up in arms like mad against this. Uh, we even had uh, D&D, everyone was canceling their D&D Beyond subscriptions because, you know, as an act of protest. And um, it was going to the point where D&D Beyond's uh, subscription page was down. You could not cancel your subscription because the subscri- subscription page was just non-existent. Uh, and, but there was there was good side to all of this revolt, which is that uh, Wizards of the Coast noticed. <laughs> Wizards of the Coast noticed, probably Hasbro noticed, uh, because they have actually completely, they really completely walked this back. I was astonished. They have said that everything in the in the systems resource document, the SRD, is now available under a Creative Commons license. That is 
400 pages of the core rules of D&D 5e, including classes, spells, monsters, all available under a Creative Commons license. You can take it and do what you want to it as long as you attribute it back to Wizards of the Coast. You say they made it, but I'm I'm using this stuff from it. Uh, it's it's a playground. D&D 5e is our playground now. We can do whatever we want in 5e. You can make all kinds of content. We do not owe Wizards of the Coast any royalties, no matter what kind of content you create. And I mean, this is this is the best thing they could have possibly done. They've walked back the their all of their edits, all of their royalty stuff, all of the stuff about claiming ownership. And now it's just like, okay, the 5e SRD is available under a Creative Commons license. And you can use it as you see fit. I think this is great. I think this is an amazing step. And I think it's a very smart move for Wizards of the Coast. It is pretty it's, much the only move uh, they could have made. Yeah. Well, well I mean, they could have not I mean, made they, it. They could have just not done it and they, got, let things get they worse. Fair. They could have dug in. They could have dug in. And that's kind of corporate America. That's what I would think the average corporate America big company would do. You dig in and say, no, this is mine. This is mine. I want to make more money. I need to have enough money to swim in uh, Scrooge McDuck style. But uh, no, I think this was the smartest decision they could have made. But I think it may be too late. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, a lot of people have realized that up until this point, here's the thing. Up until this point, the OGL had a unblemished record of use. Like from the time in 2004, I want to say, when it was yeah. first, when it first debuted up until now. So it's a solid 19 years. It had an unblemished record of use and people trusted it. They trusted what was told, what that was told to them by Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast that they could not, you know, the, the, the document would always be there. And if you didn't like it, you could use an older version. That was the one you did like. Um, and, and as a result of that, and, people trusted it to make their, their businesses. On. Go ahead, Liz. In fact, we've already seen this happen because uh, when D&D 4th Edition came out, they tried to release it under something that was not the OGL. It was uh, the games resource license or they yeah, had a whole like new that. license that was that was much more restrictive, kind of like they were trying to do with the new OGL right now, except, you know, when they rolled it out, everyone just kept using the old OGL that uh, where you could access third editions. They just yeah. they just kept using the old because the new one was so bad because it was so it was so restrictive and basically um i don't know whether to say well wizards of the coast learned nothing from that or whether to say oh they learned the exact right lesson from that because they were like okay if we want to change this agreement to be more draconian first we have to get rid of the original agreement which is what yeah. they were trying to do I mean, yeah, the answer is the answer is probably both right <laughs> i don't the thing is i still don't believe that this was an idea that the average person at Wizards of the Coast, especially no. the, the game design people, and, wanted them to do. And and I and I, no. I do want to take a moment to shout out like some content creators that were covering this uh, during the time frame. There's a lot of them, um, but like channels like D and D Shorts were actually covering like what they were hearing from internal sources, and that is actually very important um, because internal sources, the leakers and people who work there who are upset with this decision making, were letting things out. Uh, at very great risk to their own livelihoods and, and, you know, their jobs and possibly their standing in the industry, because let's face it, wizards is the 9,000 pound gorilla that sits in the corner and, and is sort of like the biggest, the biggest aspect of, of the tabletop industry, right? It's, it's the largest one, um, you know, where they're, they're talking about, you know, the people that are making these decisions, some of them don't even play D and D, 
yet they're in charge of products or they're in positions of power or somebody who might understand is so hands off on the product and the management team that there's no oversight. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it was an interesting look at how relatively disjointed upper management seems to be and how out of line it was, not just with the product that they produce, but the consumers of that product, right? I'm going to say this too, by the way. Um, back in, I want to say September or October of last year, Ray Winninger stepped down rather abruptly as as studio head for Dungeons & Dragons. Basically, the the chief game designer, the guy who tells everybody else, this is the project you're going to be working on, You know, here's what we want out of it, that guy. And they didn't say much at the time. Like I, I don't even think I noticed because it was so low-key. But then when this stuff started coming down, it made a lot of sense to me because I, you know, I've not, I don't know Ray Weninger. We're not friends or anything like that, but I've been watching the man work for, for at this point, decades. And he was a member of the community. Absolutely. And more importantly, he understood because he'd been there, how important the OGL was to Wizards of the Coast's development. Um, The OGL, people keep thinking about the OGL as the way creating, the way people who are creating can, you know, get and use D and D rules in their creations. And it is absolutely that, but why is that something you want as the company that owns the rights? Why would you want people to be doing that? Because unlike in other fields where the, the impetus is on a work as a piece that you consume, this is collaborative storytelling. It only yep. works if people are invested in it and want to use it. And by making theirs free for that purpose that, that people could make their little adventures or what have you, you give them the freedom to do so. And in return, they are spreading you that, that all right over there. the thing they're, they're, you know, making your game, the one everybody plays. Yeah. And, and think about that. That's, that's part of the reason why D and D became so ubiquitous with like tabletop role-playing games is because you can make a one shot, one page adventure in the rule set for charity streams or for, you know, introduction game nights at, you know, the, your local game store or a kid's night or anything like that. And if somebody really enjoyed it, they could go, Oh, where do I get more of this? But it was such a, an e content creators and, and people out there were making easy to digest content that was introducing whole new generations to the product. Like the, there's a turn trying to think of how to phrase this. Like in retail, there's this thing where if you're my customer, that's great. And I'm going to treat you with all the respect that I can because you're helping me keep the lights on and food on my table. But I also really care about the impression that I make upon you because at the end of that day, you're going to go and you're going to tell your friends and you know, you're going to spread the word. Right. And it's the same thing for content creators in the, in the tabletop space, like for D and D it's why like, Local game stores are so important. You want people to run those games because if somebody walks in and says, oh, hey, what are they doing? That seems like they're having fun as they're laughing at that table and seem to be really enjoying themselves and they're having a great time. And then that's how you grow your audience. That's how it stays relevant, right? And by limiting that, by by trying to put something out that sort of takes that away, you're disincentivizing folks from using it, from making that content. Like, why am I going to make a one page thing or even more magic items or an adventure or anything and publish it under the new OGL when I'm not going to own it 
and you can just erase me from it. And I've done the work of introducing more people to your product to help support your business, but you're pushing me out. Like it was, it was bad. Like it was not heat, heat death of the universe bad, but it was, it was pretty bad. Like it's, they were, they were almost like cutting off their nose to spite their face. And it was pretty apparent. What was it? I think Liz, you were the one who said this. It, it felt an awful lot like, you know, th- some lawyer who had never played uh, D&D in their life wrote this document when you saw the leaked version. Does it, that was something yeah, you said? It just, yeah, something like that. I mean, it, this did not feel like something a player wrote. It was very much a, a legalese. It was very strict. It was, it just did not feel like something that came from the people who made the game who promoted the game, who loved the game. Because I know there are a lot of good people at Wizards of the Coast who love D&D and love the community. But this did not sound like something that any of them would have written or supported. This this sound, it felt very corporate. And it was definitely, it was definitely not written realizing it was going to an audience of people who uh, spend hours and hours of their day staring at arcane list of rules, looking for new ways to min-max and ins and outs. Uh, they they did not know their target audience at all. <laughs> yeah. This is exactly, this, these are the people who are going to read the whole terms of service and they're going to find the loopholes and they're going to they're gonna use them. They're going to argue with you about them. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, I do want to talk a little bit about the industry response to it, because Matt Matt talked about this before mm-hmm. with the, the revolt, because the revolt wasn't just limited to consumers, right? Oh, there- no, no, absolutely. Uh, in fact, um, there's a post up on Paizo talking about, this was on Thursday, January 19th. The post talks about the companies that have joined their ORC movement. The, uh, the Orc Alliance, yep. Yeah, it's it's long. It's, it's a lot of companies. Like, like- you want me to read all of them? No, but I mean, like, let, let's talk well, about some of the ones that people might have known, like, like Chaosium, which maybe, is, sorry, go ahead. I mean, maybe we should start by saying what the ORC is, yeah, which is maybe. an alternative, an alternative to the OGL. It's a open system designed for many companies to come out and publish their game rules so anyone can use them. The so open, the open RPG creative license. For- yeah. Yes. And the interesting Are thing about it too work. is that it is basically it it it's targeting the thing that wizards could theoretically have done, the fact that the the OGL is an, a license owned by Wizards of the Coast so they can revoke it at will and their license will not be owned by them. They're going to create they're going to craft it and then they're going to have set up a foundation and that foundation will own it and it won't have anybody from these companies on it. That's And really that's interesting. the And that's the interesting thing about Wizards of the Coast finally releasing the SRD under a Creative Commons license. They do not own Creative Commons. Exactly, they cannot yeah. undo that like they were trying to with the OGL. Now it's just out there. And that's interesting because if they decide that that's going to replace the OGL, um, that's a big seismic shift here. And it could mm-hmm. it could stabilize the, the exodus, but the exodus is real. People are... Stri- already- I've, I've, hmm, go ahead. It's... I- yeah, the problem is the exodus is already happening. It was happening before Wizards of the Coast came and made this, you know, pretty well, big move to put the SRD out. And not only that, because it was a length of time, too, right? Like, there was about a month yeah. between, and, like, it getting leaked and any really official response. And then getting I think to- it was a few weeks. 
And then the first response was just bad. It was such a mess. Oh, we rolled a one. It didn't help at all. Mm. <laughs> it helped in that it was like so bad that I think that somebody grabbed somebody and said, you rolled a one? Did you really Did you roll the one? I want you to come up with an actual statement now because it was, yeah, it was, it was terrifyingly bad. It was, it was sitting there like going chuckle, chuckle, huh? We're all gamers. Right. And, and the rest of the people you're talking to are like, it was, you just stabbed me in the foot, man. Yeah. It's like when you chuckle, get chuckle, chuckle, man, you stabbed me in the foot. <laughs> it's, it's like when you have a gaming event and they've hired someone to like read the script and they're reading gamer jokes, but they don't understand gamers at all, and it all comes out wrong. That's kind of what it felt like. Well, nice callback to every BlizzCon for like the <laughs> first ten years of them. But Jay Moore, I mean, was, hey, Jay was... Moore has no idea who we are. But and and, and I do want to go back uh, to some of these companies that that sort of you know started popping onto the Orc license or the the uh, the Orc Alliance as it's called, and and sort of had visceral reactions to it, right? Arcane Minis, who uh, is one of the only producers of like Spelljammer esque miniatures right now, and has been for a little while, uh, and one of the quickest funded three D printing uh, uh, kickstarters in the history of it happening. Bombshell Miniatures, Chaosium, makers of uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, the DM Layer. We're talking about Evil Genius Games, Epic Epic Miniatures, Fantasy Grounds, which is a virtual tabletop. Uh, Foundry VTT, uh, Free RPG Day, which is an organization that works with all of the RPG companies to try to spread tabletop RPGs with, through local game stores and providing free product. Gale Force 9, who's been a titan in the tabletop industry for both wargaming and miniatures and tabletop role-playing forever, uh, like at least two decades, maybe three at this point. Goodman Games, Green Ronin. The Griffin Saddlebag, one of the content creators that is highlighted most most uh, regularly for their creation of fifth edition uh, compatible magic items. Cobalt Press, uh, who's another large tabletop creator that uses fifth edition. Uh, like there's these are not small companies. Monty Cook Games, uh, of course, Paizo, Pinnacle Entertainment, who makes Savage Worlds. Uh, like these are these are not small companies these are literally every competitor for wizards hey that... roll 20 is on this roll 20 is on this their their official partner yeah so it, it is pretty astonishing to see like you know some of these companies you probably haven't heard of but even the ones you haven't heard of have a pretty big role and reputation in all this you know i mean none of these companies are what i would call second raiders um, they're smaller, obviously, because everybody is smaller than Wizards. Wizards is the, again, as Joe pointed out, the 9,000-pound gorilla here. But absolutely, like, Mad Cartographer? Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen tons of Mad Cartographer stuff. They do amazing work. There's just, there's a lot going on here. This, when Liz basically mentioned that it's like a revolt and it may be too late to stop it. I, I, this goes back to what I was saying before about the goodwill that the OGL used to have. The OGL was, was trusted. People trusted it. They trusted that it would be there and that it would, when they were told that it would be irrevocable, that it would be, that, that you could always go back and use an older version. And now they realize, well, that's only true if Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro, which owns Wizards of the Coast, don't decide to change it. And as a result, that, that goodwill and that trust has, has evaporated. And now nobody trusts Wizards, even if even though Wizards has done something and and everybody who's talked about it has said, yes, this is a good move, but we're still going to do our thing. Like, 
Yeah. Co- you know, the Orc Alliance is still going forth with their license. Cobalt Press is still coming up with their own game system. Obviously, Paizo already has their own game system. Lots of, but like the very fact that Chaosium is even involved in this, because Chaosium does not have a dog in this fight. Chaosium does not publish a lot of 5e stuff. I think they did one. They have, they they have a the, small subset of Cthulhu books that were recently released yeah. under the 5th edition OGL. Yeah. They, they did the Sandy Peterson stuff. Like Sandy Peterson presents monsters for, mm-hmm. you know, 5e type things. But them coming in, that's, you know, Chaosium is one of, one of the very few companies that's ever beaten Wizards of the Coast, although technically it was TSR at the time, in court. Like they went and said, you can't publish... Uh, these the Elric of Melnibone stuff because we have the Stormbringer game and you absolutely can't publish Call of Cthulhu stuff because we have a Call of Cthulhu game. That's you, where you that's where they switch that. to Star Children instead of Elder Gods and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. So there's going to be a lot of fallout to this for years, and I don't see a path for Wizards to come out of it. Like this is not going to be a blip. This is not just ooh we had a hiccup. We rolled a one guy. Sorry, no. Y- y- y'all, y'all didn't just roll a one. You showed up at the game drunk and you peed all over everybody. Because well, th- that's the level of outrage we're looking at here. And the other aspect of that is this is a community that is not is not quick to forget. Uh, where we're like tabletop players remember things that happened in tabletop games thirty years ago. They may not remember their own like name some days or where they live or maybe how they got to work or whatever, but they'll remember that time that they crit on the vampire lord in the crypt uh, at the pivotal moment to save the day or, or or things like that. We don't forget this, and and like it's it is going to have long repercussions, right? And part of it, I think, is actually in in here's sort of the silver lining. It's a good thing. And and here's why I'm going to say that. Now you have people who are doubling their efforts and using this to showcase what else is out there. Because this is D&D is sort of again, it's it's the quintessential tabletop game. It's what everybody knows. It is the the thing that whenever somebody talks about tabletop role play, they always think of Dungeons and Dragons. It's almost synonymous in use with it. But there's so many games out there and we've talked about them before. We've covered them on the website. Uh, and we'll continue to talk about them and play them on our live plays when we get the opportunity to. And now people are starting to branch out because they're now they're starting to realize this stuff might be taken away from me or, you know, or they're realizing what we talked about at the beginning. They can't keep up with the rate of pr- of pro- print production or they can't keep up with wizards and, and their monetization of the product. So they're looking at other things and I see it yeah. and I see it at the store level, right? Like, we're making a decision to not order new books for D and D because our player base has stopped asking about them and we'll special order them when we're asked for it, but we're not going out of our way. We've, we've reached out to like companies like Paizo or any of the and magpie and all of the other various uh, tabletop producers that have deals in place. I'll tell you right bring now their stuff in, right? Yeah. Right now, if magpie, manages to capitalize on the fact that they probably have the most popular IP in ever in gaming as a game that they have that the avatar game, they need to capitalize on that. That because this is the time to do it. Yeah. And, and, and people, people really, people who don't care at all about role-playing games wanted an avatar role-playing game. Yeah. And there's also one of th- though, I will say one other thing before you, you come in, if you are burned out, or feel like you can't keep up with Wizards of the Coast release schedule. I am not sure Paizo is any better for you. <laughs> like those guys, I, those but, guys drop a lot of books. <laughs> but but their content is actually, also relatively free. 
in a lot of cases yeah. too. Sorry, go ahead, Liz. I I was actually, you know, I kind of keep a calendar of upcoming releases, and I was like, oh, I should keep a I should keep a closer eye on other gaming companies because we're gonna. I really think we're gonna see other companies flourishing in this environment. And I like was looking up the upcoming releases schedule for Paizo, and it's like three books a month, and I'm like. Yeah, no, yeah. no, I, uh, well, yeah. if there's a month, there's stuff coming out. Yeah. And, so, and, so, and some of that is, a, I was going to say, some of that's a adventure path though, too, right? Like, yeah, and some so, of it is the adventure path, which is the big deal about how Pathfinder works as opposed to D and D instead of having the collections, like the, uh, the, the vault, they have, uh, like the adventure path, which will be an adventure coming out every couple of months until chunks. the whole thing is yeah. out. And it's basically mm-hmm. a campaign that you can play as individual adventures. And then the book so comes out afterwards, that. which is the consolidation but, of it. Yeah, but but at the same time, Paizo does not they they are they are machines. They, they put are. out a lot of stuff. So that's just something I felt like needs to be said. Now the one thing that I did want to talk about though too is is real quick and I wanted to 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 switch gears a little bit. When we talk about that this is going to be long reaching, it's still going on. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. to say yeah. that we haven't forgotten about it, it's, it's hard to, because now you have like Kyle Brink, who was at the face of a lot of the communication after the leak and was sort of kind of thrown out there to sort of fall on the sword for everybody is now making the rounds uh, for interviews, right? They're, they're going to start seeing interviews popping up everywhere. In fact, I want to uh, shout out three black halflings, which is a great podcast on the headgun uh, headgun network. Uh, and absolutely hilarious live play. They're fantastic folks. Um, normally I don't shill other people's stuff very often, but go listen to their stuff. But they had Kyle Brink on there and they had an interview and it was a good long interview. It was an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, and there was nothing quote unquote off the table. And while I'm not going to recount an entire hour and 20 minute interview, I highly recommend you go to their YouTube channel and read it. There was some takeaways from that. One is that the OGL fiasco is far reaching. Like it caught the attention of not just Wizards of the Coast executives, but Hasbro executives and their shareholders. They are now keenly aware of the level of their misstep and they are trying to run damage control and doing so unsuccessfully. Uh, two, there is a lot of uh, speech being in there that, you know, Kyle is saying, like, I should have had more of my team on there and, and involved and stuff like that. But it almost feels forced, which, again, could be the corporate line that he's being told to toe. I don't know, Kyle. I don't know him from, you know, random dude on the street. So I don't know him personally or anything like that. Uh, three, that they're they're a lot of this is that they don't. The only thing that made them react is the money situation. It was how much they were losing on D&D Beyond, how much was going back from that. And that there's probably going to be more oversight now on the product and what happens. Uh, that's really like the big highlights from there uh, as far as I'm concerned. But it's we're going to see more of it. We're going to see more conversations. We're going to see them talk about how they messed up. And uh, they're going to try to do the whole thing where they they maybe try to clean up their reputation a bit. But even like, and again, shout out the three black halflings. They were not backing down from asking the hard questions about that and, and really representing the community of, you know, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what, how do you guys feel about what they're doing with their PR campaign right now or, you know, anything like that. So I'll, I'll kick it over to you to get your thoughts on where they're at currently. And I guess we'll start with Liz. 
they're just going to have to make a massive effort to regain the trust they've lost. It's It takes a long time to build trust and build community and to build what D&D had, but it can be lost in an instant by having this leak and letting it go for so long without any kind of response and then having this tone-deaf response and going just weeks and weeks without stepping in to do anything about it. They did finally come to the right decision. They put out the SRD under Creative Commons. That's the best thing they could have done for themselves, for the game, and for the community. But it took too long to get there, and they made a lot of missteps along the way. To regain that trust, it's going to take years, and it's going to take a lot of effort. They're going to have to get out in front of people and say, hey, we do care about the community. We want you to create content for D&D. We want you to play D&D. We want to support you in doing those things. I think they're doing the right thing, but it's going to take a lot of time to even just get back to where they were before this started. Do you think the covenant has just been, it really is a covenant, right? Like the covenant has been broken, right? Like, and I'll kick it over to Matt. Like you mentioned earlier that people relied on the strength of the OGL. Uh, and this showed is actually like in essence, how fragile that really is. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it in other ways throughout life that sometimes things that you think are ironclad are really just kind of like gentlemen's agreements. Uh, and, and the only thing holding them together is people's belief in them. Uh, the, the OGL here is definitely going through a situation like that, where um, the initial response by a lot of people who drafted and, and helped to get the OGL created was, wait, you can't do that. Like it's, it's not, you know, we, we deliberately like, set uh, it up so you couldn't do that. Like what Lisa Steven, Lisa Stevens and Jim Butler. Right. And then yeah. uh, Brian Lewis. And, uh, yeah. Brian Lewis. Uh, and then of course, Ryan Dancy. These are all folks that were running. there at wizards when the OGL 1.0 was created. Yeah. And they, so when that happened, Liz is really right. Everything Liz said is right. I don't want to just repeat it. But the thing I'm going to focus <laughs> on is this idea that when you break something, when you when you knock the thing off the, the pedestal and it smashes, uh, all the glue in the world ain't going to make it the way it was. Um, there's, there's a Japanese art, and I can never remember the name of it, but when they have broken pottery, they will actually put it back together with gold so the breaks are, and cracks are visible so people can see them because there's no point in trying to repair it so that the, the, that it's seamless. You can't do that. You can only acknowledge what happened. That's where we are right now with wizards of the coast and the community. And I'm like, I said, I was, I've seen a lot of people that I used to watch for D and D content are moving to other games or just don't, they're not doing anything. Like there's a lot yep. of uncertainty. Even now there's a lot of uncertainty in, in the community. I mean, yes, the, the, the SRD move for five for, for the fifth edition SRD going to creative commons. That's great. But I mean, there's also stuff like wizards is still obviously eyeing VTTs and does not like virtual tabletops because and wants to make their own. Yeah. Because they're, um, they're actively producing their own. And then now stuff has come out from interviews that the entire reason they bought D and D beyond was to destroy it, which is like, I mean, the idea of buying D and D beyond because you hate it and you want to get rid of it and replace it with your own. It's like, no, you've just bought it. Now it is your own. You don't have to do anything. Like just what? I mean, what am I hearing here? Like this makes no sense. And so there's a I lot mean, of stuff I, going on. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. 
I mean, I really felt that they did buy it to, you know, integrate it and become their official thing because they didn't have anything like this. You know, it would have taken years to develop something that was even on the same level. So it's like, do the big corporate thing and just buy it and then own it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, is that that makes sense. And I think it's what a lot of people involved thought was going on. But they were still making internally uh, their 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 D and D Beyond replacement still even are. after they bought it. It's still under development. Uh, it's like Project Open Sky or something like that. I, it- yeah, and that's just this. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we don't really know. We're not getting that is still obviously affecting the the path forward. And I think the community has proved that if if Wizards calls their bluff, they will straight up leave. Like the companies that have been supporting them through using their the OGL will make their own, are going to make their own no matter what. So they have security. So they don't have to worry about Wizards deciding they don't like it, that people publish things and will stop them. Like there's, there is not going to be, the, the way it was is not the way it will be. Let me just stop with that. That's that's what I'm what I, my big takeaway is. These things have changed. It's different now, and it will continue to be going forward. You're saying this? Yeah, I mean, Paizo Paizo has specifically gone out and said we are willing to fight wizards in court if they decide to you know make an issue about this, decide to try and revoke things because that wasn't the spirit of the original agreement. So we know there are companies out there who are going to stand up and say, no, this is not okay. This is not what was ever meant to happen with this. Uh, and we've seen that there are other companies, this has given so much visibility to other companies out there, to all of these small press, press publishers that, you know, now and content that, creators. Joe was saying, now that, yeah, now that the covenant has been broken, it, really opens the floodgates for these other content creators to get out there and show us all what they can do, what they have to offer. Because I think if nothing else, this has made everyone in the industry, maybe people who were mainly interested in D&D, mainly participated in the D&D community, that there's a lot else out there. If, If Wizards of the Coast had decided to shut the OGL down and to lock out a lot of independent content creators... They have other options. They have a lot of games out there. And, and that's something that's just something I, I that's just something I don't think the community as a whole necessarily realized because a lot of people have come into D&D because of the community because they were watching Critical Role because they saw this on YouTube from someone and then they started getting into the game and they may not be uh, aware of how much is out there. This just offers so much opportunity for the growth of other companies. And I yeah, think that's I mean, gonna be that's gonna be really interesting. And, and I, I was gonna say anecdotally, and and there are some hard numbers here as well, uh, there's evidence of this, right? Uh, a lot of these companies are going on emergency print runs to get copies of their books out because mm-hmm. it, during this time frame, Paizo sold out their entire printing that was currently available of Pathfinder books everywhere. And anecdotally, I know that to be fact because I can't, I, I can't get them in. They're on, they're on delay, and we sold out completely because – and I mentioned this last time, but it's still going on. We still get people who are coming in to the store and asking, what else is there? What else can I play? What other things are – what are like this but, but you know, maybe, you know, a little bit different? Like, point me in a direction. You know, I've seen more Powered by the Apocalypse books uh, like Monster of the Week – 
sold in the last like month than I have in the last year. I've seen more people pick up Starfinder, a game that came out in 2017 uh, and is arguably the blueprint for Pathfinder second edition, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast um, that, you know, isn't nearly the player base that Pathfinder is. Those books are all selling out too. Uh, Pathfinder, obviously uh, people are buying Cobalt press stuff, uh, which are like, they have, rules agnostics uh, books with like deities and campaigns and magic spells and potions and, and, and brewing. And those books are flying off the shelves too. And it's interesting because all these people that maybe ignored that section of the bookstore to go grab the latest D and D supplement are starting to realize that they're like, Liz is saying there's so much more out there. And in some cases so much more you can buy with that same 50 bucks. And I, I want to, I want to throw that out there too. Cause like, D and D is expensive. Buying those books is expensive. We didn't talk about this earlier. We talked about the the the, the crushing flow of content, but in the U.S., that's fifty dollars a book, average, right? There's no soft cover version. If you buy a digital version, you might get it for thirty, but it's a digital version. You can't hold it. And then you have companies like Paizo, who again they they're a company. They're going to make money. The hardcover book, yeah, is, is it is it fifty sixty bucks? Yes. They have a soft cover version called the Pocket Edition. It's the same book, six hundred pages slightly smaller and it's 30 bucks. So for 30 for, for the same 50 60 bucks, you can get the player you can get the the core rule book and the advanced player's guide, which also comes in pocket form. All of their books come in a smaller form that are cheaper, which is a slightly low, lower barrier and and I'm sure Matt's going to correct me on this if I don't say it, but I'm you know, there are also these companies that offer their core rules just for free off the bat. Like, yeah, like Pathfinder, yeah. go ahead, talk about what they offer for free, right? Well, Pathfinder puts you can go to the uh just one example. There's the Archives of Nethys site that has the the system reference documents for Pathfinder First Edition, Pathfinder Second Edition, and Starfinder. Uh, you can just get any any information that's in any Pathfinder book about this game. You can get from that site. It's completely stripped of of flavor text. Uh, it doesn't like have any of the what they call crunch, uh, but it has all the rules you would need to run it, and it's completely free and it's online. You can just go get it anytime you want. Uh, that's just one company doing that. Uh, Green Ronin has a whole bunch of stuff they do like that too. They're M and M Superlink type stuff. And and uh, there's software companies like Demiplane, which is starting to mm-hmm. get into a little bit of prominence, which because they're an alternative to D and D Beyond that are starting to gain traction. Not only did they land a deal with Magpie to do their Avatar stuff. Paizo's putting their Pathfinder and eventually their Starfinder content there, including yep. character creation, character information, and things like that. They even got Vampire. Yeah. Uh, which is a game you haven't really talked much, but yeah. One of the things before we, I think we're getting close to moving we on, to, but I want to mention, I've seen a lot of interesting indie stuff that is kind of like looking at Dungeons and Dragons and it isn't making a and d like game, but it's sort of making a reaction game to D&D. Like the one I linked, I linked in uh, the D and D channel for the people who work here, uh, is the icon play test. It was created by the guy who created Lancer, which is one of those indie yeah. games that everybody seems to love. Uh, and it's like indie it's, indie mech battle game, by the way, for Lancer. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like you become the, the it's it's like looking at the whole adventurers who explore dungeons and do stuff, and it's like what if you made that like the core assumption of the world that this is something that happens. That there are people who just professionally go raid tombs and and ancient dungeons and and bring back treasure and loot and you make that part of the world 
And it's interesting to see it coming from like a singular vision because D and D has not been from a singular vision in a very long time. Um, and when it was from a singular vision, it wasn't necessarily the best singular vision. Uh, there's some stuff Gary put in the game that's really weird. Uh, Gary, I know you're dead, but you put some weird stuff in there, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, I so, want, so I just, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I, I do want to take the opportunity because we are coming up on time, though, to sort of gather our final thoughts. And I want to start with Liz. So if you wanted to either summarize your thoughts or, or where you're at with this all or, or what you want to impart to our listeners what would you say right now about all this and what, what they have to look forward to in the future? I think this is a really exciting time for TTRPGs. And it seems a little weird to say that because it's all come from Wizards of the Coast making a huge bumbling mistake. But I think it's it's opened up so much opportunity. There are so many small press publishers who are going to get a chance to get attention, to get their books out there. And it's also going to mean that Wizards of the Coast is going to have to try harder to make really good content to compete. Because it's not just that they can release a book and it's a D&D book and everyone's going to buy it because now everyone's really, really aware that there are other things out there. There's a lot of other stuff they could play that is great. So I think it's a really exciting time. I think we're going to see a lot of cool games and adventures out there very soon. Matt, what about you? Uh, I think if I was trying to sum up everything, it would be that it's it's interesting. And it kind of reminds me of that thing like, you know, like the only thing big enough to, to kill X is X. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wizards <laughs> of the Coast probably had an absolutely unchallengeable domination of the space. And the only thing that could possibly have stopped them was them doing this. Which you would think, like, they, so they wouldn't because it would hurt, but apparently they did because they believed they were completely unchallengeable to the point where they could do this and get away with it. And on the face of it, there is no reason that they shouldn't have. There's the, the idea that the entire hobby would rise up as one and go, you know, what? Just didn't, wouldn't occur to me. I, I did not see that coming. I did not see the level of, and I should, because I, I know role-playing people, we're, we're all cantankerous. Uh, I should not have been surprised. But I was, because I'm so used to corporations just doing this kind of thing and, and getting away with it, that seeing this this straight-up uprising... And how swift and it seeing, was. Yeah, the swift how swift it was, mm-hmm. how, how, how strident it was. Like the, There was not a lot of dithering. Like it, going to YouTube at one point, well, going to YouTube in January was just video after video after video of people like like losing their minds, and YouTube's algorithm couldn't wait to show them to me. It was like, hey, you like Dungeons and Dragons? Look at this person's anguish. I'm like, I, I don't want to see his anguish. I want to see him having fun playing a game. But I guess I can't blame you for this. I have to blame Wizards. So you know, there we are. So yeah, this this was this was wholly avoidable, um, and getting as Liz said climbing back from this is going to be a task and in in the meantime i really hope you're right and that we get a lot more diversity not just in terms of you know diversity and like you know the people represented and so forth but straight up diverse games where we we do more than just you know raiding dungeons where there's there's a lot of other stuff you can do in a role-playing game and there's a lot of different genres to explore too that that Mm -hmm. that are out there that you know, aren't just fantasy, different systems, different genres. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. So that's, that's, that's where I, my takeaway is. I, I want to jump in here with a little thing is you mentioned diversity 
And one of the things about diversity is seeing people of different races, seeing people of different backgrounds in our games, seeing that everyone can be a hero. And D&D is trying to make their game more diverse. They've been working on it, but sometimes they still make some pretty significant missteps here. So I I think by opening up this up to more game companies, we're also going to see more diverse content. We're going to see more people just producing more stuff because D&D does have its specific vision and it's a limited vision because it's, you know, one company's vision and direction. And I wanted to add one last thing here at the end too with my final thoughts because ev- everything Liz and Matt said is is absolutely accurate. Another thing I want to say is don't feel bad about still playing D&D, right? And that's another thing that that we didn't really talk about a whole lot, but there there has been some backlash, not as much as some other games out there. Um, but if you play and enjoy the game and you have the books, you have the books. You can still play and enjoy the game. Like the stories you tell are still your own. The stories that you share with your friends and your your the, your adventuring party are still yours. They're your memories to make. They're your time to spend with your friends. And if that continues to be Dungeons and Dragons, where you sit down at the table, go ahead. There's groups that come to my store of of old timers that have been playing since the red boxes, right? Um, they still play the old boxes. Uh, there's people that still play second edition out there. There's people that still play GURPS and, and games that uh, existed in time and memoriam. There's still people that play the Marvel D6 role-playing game from way back when. You can play whatever you want as long as you are enjoying yourself and telling your stories. And use this as an opportunity to to sort of internalize that a little bit, I guess you would say. Like, if you want to branch out, go ahead. If you want to stay where you're comfortable, go ahead, but stay vigilant, right? Make sure that you're paying attention to what's going on around you. Like we're talking about diversification and things like that. Maybe if you want to try something or you're looking for a little more adventure or you're looking for a little more fantasy plus, try Pathfinder. See if you like it. Or maybe if you want to see what, you know, Starjammer or Spelljammer could have been with Starfinder, go for it. It's there's no real wrong answer here as long as you are still enjoying what you're doing. And at the end of the day, really no company can take that away from you. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today. Unless there's anything else, either of you want to add. No, I'm good. Do If you do want to try out Pathfinder, there is a humble bundle right now with a massive amount of Pathfinder content. You can get just a ton of books digitally. Yep. I'm going to say straight up. I think Pathfinder second edition is one of the best role-playing games of the past 10 years. I, I really think it's a great system. And I mean, I, I've, I've I've written posts about it. I've I've talked about it. It's really good. But there are also other good games. I mean, Powered yeah. by the Apocalypse is a very flexible system, and it's one that was created basically for other people to use from the beginning. Uh, and it's going to be what Avatar uses. Uh, is what Avatar is using because Avatar's mm-hmm. out now, right? Yes, it is. It <laughs> yeah. is officially out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, the other thing about the, the hobby right, here, right now. The, the hobby right now is basically constantly happening. So it's very hard to keep track of, but yeah, there's just, there's a ton of good stuff. So. All right, friends. Well, I do want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Blue, of Tavern watch with blizzard watch, because these shows are made possible due to your generous contributions at patreoncom slash blizzard watch. Your continued support means this podcast sign in community is able to thrive and grow. 
Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue and an ads free site experience. I do want to take this opportunity to remind you that we do produce tabletop content here on the Tavern Watch imprint. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we're getting ready to record another episode uh, in which you can see exactly what uh, co-DM Matt has in store for us, uh, which is an interesting experience if you haven't listened to it. And I highly recommend you do. The Into the Weir series is a co-DM experience where Matt and I trade off uh, between adventure arcs uh, and seeing how the stories evolved between the two of us has definitely been entertaining for me and I hope it's been entertaining for you. Also, stay tuned to our other podcasts like Lore Watch and the Blizzard Watch podcast as we continue to try to bring you entertaining content. And with that, folks, we'll see you next time. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normal. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.